Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel way in the middle of the air. And the big wheel runs by faith. And the little wheel runs by the grace of God. Tis a wheel and a wheel way in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel. Welcome to Pericope, the Bible study put together for the Canterbury Episcopal Group at Columbia University. I am Ryan Karatko, the Episcopal Chaplain. Canterbury at Columbia is, of course, in exile or diaspora currently due to COVID-19, and we are all have retreated to our quarantine places, uh, trying to avoid getting sick, trying to help people who are sick, uh, trying to complete classes, trying to graduate. I hope that wherever you are listening, you are safe and well. Today, welcome to season two of Pericope, which is nicely able to pick up as we have all dispersed. We are continuing our experimental approach to supplementing a weekly Bible discussion with some background. Uh, This process will continue to be evolving for a while, so as you have feedback, I'll be glad to hear it. Our study, as always, is rooted in Scripture and conversation with each other and the awareness that God's love is not conditional. This season, our theme is how to read the Bible. It's a close look at the process of how we read the Bible and what we do with it and how we make our choices and how we understand them and what authority it has over us. And we're engaging that through the book of Ezekiel. Now, this might seem like a strange approach rather than, say, reading biblical scholarship and literary criticism and thinking about in general how we read and engage. Instead, we're doubling down on one of the stranger books of the Bible. However, Ezekiel shares many of our postmodern worries about the process of reading. It worries about what counts as text, whether interpretation can overpower original text, or who really is the author. How do we deal with historical texts when they're right or when they're wrong? What do we do when our reading of God has gone wrong? What would it even mean for God to speak in a world where we misunderstand each other all the time? Today is the first of a two-part series to catch us up, as many of us have been participating in the Bible study, but toward the end, as everyone was trying to figure out where to move, uh, the abruptness of it and the dissipation of our gathering, I think it was becoming easy to be fragmented. So our first two episodes of our podcast will be just kind of a catch-up on how far we've come in Ezekiel and a review over some of the conversations that we've had, and then we'll start moving ahead. Also, I'll be spelling out the background for some of the conversations that we have had so that if you have not participated in the Bible study so far this semester, but you'd like to, you're now, you'll feel totally caught up and you can come and join the conversation. For this episode, in particular, I'll be talking about Ezekiel chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 11, the kind of opening theophany of the book of Ezekiel. If you've never read Ezekiel before, and I'm just going to assume that you haven't, it's one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. The three great prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, are so named because of the length of the text rather than their importance. So there are 12 minor prophets, which is not to indicate how unimportant they are, but how long their texts are. Ezekiel is quite long and is thought perhaps to have been the first book of the Bible composed uh, 
uh, by the pen or by the stylus um, rather than composed orally and then redacted uh, by later groups and then sort of further written down. It's thought that Ezekiel reads like it was a book that was meant to be read, which makes it stand out from the Hebrew scripture. It probably went through some redaction through some of its uh, disciples or followers of the original Ezekiel, but it comes to us as a fairly sort of comprehensive whole. Um, The setting of the book is the exile. The exile is one of the two E's you always need to know when you read Hebrew scripture. The two big E's of Hebrew scripture are the exodus and the exile. Christians, I think sometimes we spend a long time thinking about creation and Genesis, but the book itself, the books of themselves in, in Hebrew scripture are far more concerned with the sort of defining moments of the Exodus being led out into freedom um, from slavery by God out of Egypt, and then the and the, then the falling apart of the dream of having a homeland, the falling apart of being one's own nation state with Israel and all of uh, the the leaders being carried off into exile. Ezekiel is set and seems to be written during the process of that being carried off into exile, which actually happens in stages. Israel had split into two. There had been a civil war. There was a north. There was a south. And the north had lost first. And so the north, lots of them had been carried off into exile. So the very first part of Ezekiel, which is set by the river Chebar, you'll, that the idea is that the those they are it is directed to the people who are already in exile but looking back and forth sometimes through these strange visions of what's happening back in Jerusalem so the exile is central to Ezekiel and probably the main thing to know about that is that everybody's dreams have died um There's a famous psalm that's easy to look up. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. How could we sing our songs in a foreign land, it asks. It's one of the most famous songs because it speaks of the great loss of the exile, the feeling that not only had everyone's dreams of a nation state died and politics changed, but that God was just wrong or not that powerful or maybe doesn't really exist. And so the exile is a theological crisis as much as it is a political and a cultural crisis. And Ezekiel is worried about just exactly those things. What does it mean that God spoke and promised things, and yet things seem to have worked out differently? In a way, that's all the introduction I want to give to Ezekiel without turning to the text. Ezekiel has a long history of being interpreted psychoanalytically as someone who's depressed. Uh, some of it reads like a drug trip, although I, it, it, as far as I know, drugs were not really used for religious purposes in traditional Hebrew life. I think the best way to get into Ezekiel is to read it, and to read it like it was a book we were encountering in maybe even a course, an academic course, one that we could turn the full strength of our analysis to. For example, as we pick up the book of Ezekiel and we read, perhaps the first question we should ask ourselves is, who speaks? If we're attentive in those first couple verses of Ezekiel, we'll notice that it's unclear who is speaking. Is it Ezekiel? Is it a later disciple? At what point does God speak? In some ways, this is simply a reflection of a very real problem. If God speaks only in the voice of the prophets, 
then how will we know which is really God's speech? How will we know which speech belongs only to the prophet and which speech belongs to God? Simply assuring us over and over again that it's God it isn't going to work. Ezekiel is going to object to a number of prophets in his own time who do just that as it happens. And he'll note that they are not, in fact, speaking with God's voice. So how can we know? Ezekiel wants to think about this. So we won't answer this question today, but there's one thing to think about as you engage this great theophany in the beginning of Ezekiel, the, the wheels within wheels. Another thing to pay attention to is what reading this vision does to our minds as we read it, with the wheel, the wings touching wings and wheels touching wheels, and the spirit is in the wheels, the way in which time seems to pause and space seems to be almost grow by through our the process of reading this text there it is i think entirely intentional it's a way of getting us to pay attention to or to have our minds actually change as we pay attention to this great theophanic vision this vision of the image of god i'll say more about that in a second But it's worth paying attention to what it does to our mind to try and follow along, whether we're trying to envision how they all go with the faces facing different ways and the wings touching each other or not. I think it's an intentional strategy, a way of bringing us out of our normal way of thinking about space and time. So pay attention to it as as we engage. And we've talked some about that in some of our previous conversation. It's also worth noting that Ezekiel is or at least appears to be at first, utterly breaking the rules of Hebrew scripture. Hebrew scripture has all is very clear in Exodus, for example, or even in Genesis, that you can't really see God, that whatever God is, and is may not actually even be exactly the right word, but that whatever is happening with God, God is not the kind of object that we can just see, like a refrigerator, or even like something like light that causes us to be able to see, but we don't really perceive directly. God is instead something that we can only see the the passage of after the passing has already happened. Ezekiel, though, begins by saying, I saw the image of God. Uh, we get later toward the end of the first chapter, what I think is probably the most telling summary of how Ezekiel thinks about this, that what Ezekiel sees with the wheels and the domes and all of creation sort of made present in this vision is the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So the Lord is the proper name for God, and the glory of the Lord is sort of like the halo, the 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 presence, the aroundness, the penumbra of the Lord. And what appears is the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So something that's like that penumbra around the Lord, but it's not even that really. It's the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel is going to be very concerned with the way that we perceive and the way that we read as much as exactly what we see or what we read. It's going to be concerned with the process of understanding and reading as much as it is concerned with what it is exactly that we need to know about God. So, for this first 
few chapters, simply it's helpful to attend to that. Attend to the ways in which Ezekiel constantly calls our attention to the way that we are reading text, that we are thinking about what we're hearing, that we're deciding who is speaking, that we're aware of who is, um, who is prophet and who is God. One or two other quick notes to think about the, the our, our, our previous summary of this passage. Um, one is that Ezekiel notes that what he what he writes on the scroll and or, or, and what he eats is full of woe and sadness. There's a kind of gladness to this part of the text to recognizing woe and sadness as a reality. In part, this responds to what it means to read and interpret whether Israel is allowed to be sad at things having been lost. But part of it might simply be useful for us at this moment as we are losing things, whether it's graduation or time with each other or uh, the kind of social life that we imagined or the internship or the job or any of the things that are happening to us. Ezekiel reminds us that telling the truth about that can feel pretty good, even if it is sad. As the text ends, Ezekiel is full of the word of the Lord and stunned into silence. So as you read through these early parts of the text, I will post a few questions online, but questions to think about. Who speaks throughout Ezekiel? And it's really a question of reading. Is God talking here? Is Ezekiel talking here? Do both speak at the same time, and how would you attribute one part to one or one to another? Is both all the time? Does that mean Ezekiel always is right? How could we possibly know when it's something that we are reading? Ezekiel is not naive to these questions and is thinking about it. Does the text tell us what it means? Do I create the meaning of the text? Or is that something that we're dancing together? That, in fact, is a really deep literary criticism question and one you can think about for a long time. But Ezekiel, I think, is treading exactly the same territory. Second, Ezekiel thinks of symbols, I think, as an advantage. The appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, that words, that things that we say are an advantage for us and not a disadvantage. They create a path for us to be aware that God is both unknowable and yet connected to us. But what that means is that we might always get things wrong. Prophecy can be misinterpreted or lied about. It can be real and unclear. When God is translated to the medium of finitude in the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, it becomes subject to all of the misunderstanding of all of the finitude that we all share. What does this mean for the way that God speaks to us? Reading Ezekiel is going to demand our best efforts, I think, but I think it will also be well rewarded. So have a look. Think about who's talking, how we'll know, how we'll be able to recognize symbols as opposed to reality or what the relationship might be and how we'll know who's speaking. Be well and stay safe.
intro music today is Ezekiel Saw the Wheel by the Hampton Institute Quartet. It's located on the Internet Archive and public domain as near as I can discover. Our half-ass outro music is also Ezekiel Saw the Wheel, but arranged and performed by me. If you want to know more about the Episcopal community in Uptown in the Bronx or Columbia University and Fordham University in New York, you can find us online at canterburynyc.org. This is Chaplain Ryan. Live without fear and go in peace down that good road.